Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm Bob McGregor. And I'm Stan Fowler. Uh, Glad that you're thinking about this subject with us, those of you who are listening. We do hear from you every once in a while. And by the way, let me just say this now. If you have any comment or question you'd like uh, Stan and I to think about, uh, we don't promise to resolve things. We just think about them. Uh, You can contact us in two ways. Uh, B. McGregor at grandviewchurch.ca or sfowler at grandviewchurch.ca or you can go to our website and look for uh, the the listing of all of our podcasts and there you will find all the podcasts and a button that you can click that will help you uh, send your questions into us and uh, we, we look forward to hearing from you. We do. So Stan, it seems to be a bit of a revolution going on right now in our culture. Uh, it, it began as a kind of a vague sense that something's brewing. It's, it's almost like uh, there's a, a transition in worldview that's happening. And it's, it's since the 1980s, as I understand it, but it's, it's come to be known something called critical theory. And we're going to talk about that today because we've been asked to talk about it. But you and I are not experts in this area, but we're going to try to identify it and then make a few comments as to our concern about it and to get people thinking more and reading more on it. And we might revisit this later on. But let's, let's begin by, for the sake of some of our listeners who might not know what critical theory is, in a nutshell, what is it? Oh, wow. I think I wish you were defining it. It's, uh, it is a challenge. Um, and I've, I've just, I've started digging into it, but I'm, I'm frankly not very far along. I'm trying to understand it myself. I mean, it, it, it has roots going back a long way. Uh, in one sense, its roots go back to Karl Marx in the 19th century where for him, history was about the uh, conflict between uh, the, the working class and, and the class that oppressed them. And, and so he was about the revolution of their proletariat. And so economic oppression was, was the heart of human problems. More recently, in the 20th century, it's got, it got directed in, in other ways. But, but as I understand it, the critical theory proponents are saying, essentially, uh, human experience is about oppressors and oppressed. And everybody is either part of an oppressor group or an oppressed group. And whereas Marx was thinking about the economically oppressed, now it's been broadened to include uh, certainly race, sexual orientation, and identity. And so people are not to be thought of so much as individuals as they are part of an identifiable group or groups. A class. Yeah, a class. So the probably it's, it's most um, public... Uh, use as a point of conversation now is is about race, and so you will often see it 
described as CRT, critical race theory, which in a variety of ways argues that um, it's, it's fundamentally about the way those of us who are white oppress people of color. And so everyone is either an oppressor or an oppressed. And, and it's argued that to be a part of the oppressing group, to be a white male, as you and I are, white, cisgender, heterosexual male, mm-hmm. um, to be a part of that oppressing group means we, we can't even begin to understand the, the problems and the distress of the oppressed class. And so the whole system has to be overthrown. It's not like we can be called individually to repent and understand. And so we aren't even allowed to make comments about the situation because you and I can't understand what blacks, for example, experience. So when you talk about the whole system being overthrown, that's where I begin to um, get confused because you hear about systemic issues, systemic racism, like our justice system is systemically not, I understand what racism is, but when you talk about a system, I think of apartheid, right? Right. And so, and these people, they refer to this whole system, they say, blow it up. There's a revolution. Um, and then what have you got? Yeah, that's one of the really great questions. What would you have in the end? Uh, I mean, we've, we've all heard about the, uh, the debates over the last year, or better part of a year, about racism and about uh, defunding the police because the police are the problem, not the solution, and so on. And then we ask okay, if you defund the police, you can't support police officers, so they lose their job. You don't have many police officers. How, what's going to happen? How are we going to deal with chaos in society? Or one of the things I, I was just thinking about earlier today was if everybody's either oppressor or oppressed, so we, we have a revolution, we blow it up somehow, well... Who will, will we simply have a new oppressive class? If, if whites are presently the oppressors, will blacks become oppressors then if they are no longer oppressed? You and I certainly agree with others that no one should be oppressed. Everyone should be treated with respect and dignity. But what would it mean? Um, the, the assumption seems to be there's always a, a class in charge. Well, does that mean then we'll just have those who are now the oppressed who become the oppressors? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not sure what the goal is. Yeah, I read recently someone stating that it really goes back to Darwin, and Darwin just established the, the institution of struggle, that there's always going to be a struggle. The survival of the fittest kind of moves us in our evolution, and that same kind of ideology, you, you, you hear it or you see it surfacing in uh, critical uh, race theory where the struggle is never ending. And, I, and they talk about blowing it up, but I just even, even then it's, it's going to be an ongoing struggle. And I just don't know if I like the idea of living in a world that is systemically, institutionally in a state of struggle all the time. 
No, and I, I think almost all of us probably individually would say, I, that's not quite the way I experience the world. Now, I realize I, I have to work at understanding the situation of people who are different from me. Uh, I was telling you before about a recent experience of mine. I, one of the seminary students I've taught over the last few years recently posted a blog recounting conversation that, that he and three other recent students of mine had. They're all people of color. And, and, and it, was, it was a very encouraging blog because it was entitled, Why We Love Heritage. And the four of them were talking about their very positive experience as black students at a mostly white seminary. And I thought, you know, when I taught them, I never thought of the fact they were black. I, I knew they were black, but I never really thought of that. I didn't, when I interacted with them, I didn't consciously say, he's a black guy. And yet, in the blog, uh, the writer pointed out that all four of them wondered about what it would really be like to, to experience a mostly white seminary. And I thought, yeah. And these, these guys aren't into critical race theory, but they are black. And, and I, I do need to understand that blacks in our world, blacks in our part of the world, often do experience things very differently from whites. They, they are often stopped by the police mm -hmm. uh, in a way that whites don't tend to be. Uh, they may be ignored in line. And I, I understand, I have my concerns about the systemic racism idea because it often seems a bit overstated. And yet I recognize it's easy for there to be a kind of implicit racism in, say, if... Um, if I were, if I had to assess applications for a job, and I, I see uh, five applicants, I have five pictures, four of them are white, one of them is black. It may be that, that, that without consciously knowing it, I would unthinkingly sort of say the black person comes in at the end of the list. I hope or I, you might put him at the first of the I list. I might. I might. If I, if I wanted to undo some wrongs of the past, mm -hmm. I might. So I, I need to be aware of that. There, there can be kind of an implicit, even unconscious kind of racism that goes on. But if I understand much of the rhetoric about critical race theory, it, it basically says... We whites, who are part of the oppressing class, are incapable of, of coming to empathize and understand the situation of people of color. And, and so there's no point in calling us to understand and repent and change. Somehow our whole class has to be blown up, as it were. Or we don't have a voice. We, we don't, don't have, we don't have authority. We don't have a platform. We're not allowed to speak to that because we don't have their experience. Right. Whereas I like to think that truth is truth and that we, we need to agree that uh, something is unjust. And whether I've, I've experienced or not, for the sake of truth and justice, we need to speak with one voice. 
and because it's true, whether I've experienced or not. I, I haven't ever experienced slavery, but I hate it. And if I lived a few hundred years ago, uh, I would use my voice to condemn it, rightly so. But to say that I can't do that, I can't speak with conviction about an injustice because of my color, that's where I part ways with uh, critical race theory. I think truth is truth. doesn't matter what color your skin. I do believe, though, that you're, you're right. Uh, there, and I don't know if it's unconscious bias prejudice that we have, but we do need to pay attention to um, things that people are experiencing or their perceptions that uh, create in them a mindset where they don't feel as welcome. And we could do a lot better uh, just by being mindful of the pathways that people take, not just racially, it could be economically, but just because they're in the same room with us doesn't mean they have the same uh, outlook. Right. We need to need to find ways, I think, to, to ask and to listen mm-hmm. and, and, and to really try to hear what they're saying, the way they describe their own experience. Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, calls us to um, be as concerned about the needs of the neighbor as about my own needs. And, but that means I, need, I, I do need to observe, I need to listen, I need to hear, um, I, I need to feel if, insofar as I can. I mean, none of us mm-hmm. can enter into the skin of another totally, but, but we can certainly grow in, in actually having concern and compassion. I, uh, much of what I hear uh, in, this, in this debate currently seems to hold out no hope that people could learn to understand across some of these divisions or, or, or could actually repent and change. And, and there's almost no room for forgiveness Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In 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 the way this conversation often occurs, mm-hmm. and all of that, of course, is contrary to the gospel, mm-hmm. which says forgiveness is available. God does draw people to genuinely repent, and and God bestows His Spirit upon believers in Christ to enable us to actually change. Mm-hmm. So we have to be open to the possibility of change in a way that critical theory seems to deny. It seems to say it's it's simply the way we are in in our identity. That's hopeless, which is contrary to the hope of the gospel. Yeah, and I I think also when, when we go about preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel, the gospel brings people to the realization of their brokenness, not because of their oppression uh, at, at a grocery store or in a certain economy. It brings them to the end of themselves where they acknowledge that they are oppressors, that they are enemies of God, they are offenders of God. And we're reluctant to proclaim that to someone who sees themselves as an offended oppressed person and now i got to tell them oh it's worse than you think you know, right <laughs> you're you're now you you are an, you you have oppressed the work of god and you need to repent and that goes against the grain of critical race theory no you need to treat me like i'm a victim and well and i understand that and we need to be concerned about social justice but the gospel also brings you 
to the end of all of that where you cry out, I'm undone and I need mercy and grace, not justice necessarily. And that's another concern I have with the movement as Christians deal with it, that we, we don't forget that uh, the gospel is contrary to that. Liberation in the gospel is different than liberation in critical race theory. Well, it is indeed. And uh, there are many forms of what could be called the liberation theology, which, which uh, locate the, the basic human problem in the wrong place. In other words, the kingdom of, if we, if we can achieve greater economic or racial justice, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God has come. Mm-hmm. There, there are more issues to be concerned Amen. about. This is a complex question, and we've only opened uh, the door into it. I suspect we may have some more conversation along the way. And more reading to do and growing to do. Um, this, is, this is the emerging philosophy of our day, and I think we will need to talk about it more. But we wanna, I want to thank you for bringing this up. Our, one of our listeners asked us to think about it, and we'll do it again. But if you've got another issue that you want to hear Stan and I think about, then let us know. I gave you the uh, contact at the beginning of the broadcast or the podcast, and we'd be glad to hear from you. Until then, I'm Bob McGregor. I'm Stan Fowler. And thanks for thinking with us. Keep on thinking. Thank you.